Hi, this is Leanne Brown, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hey, Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 47 of Chasing Dreams. This next guest I found actually through a Tumblr post about her book, and I it caught my eye, and I didn't know what was going on. And so I did a little more research, and after reading her story, I said, you know what? I think she'd be fantastic to come on the show. And her name is Leanne Brown. She wrote the book Good and Cheap, and she wrote it as the capstone for her master's in food studies from NYU, after it went viral online as a PDF that has been downloaded over 950,000 times. Leanne launched a Kickstarter campaign to self-publish the book. Hundreds of thousands of viewers watched her video and donated $145,000 funding a 40,000 copy print run. Now, this is just like the first edition. The edition she just published as a result of the campaign won the 2015 IACP Judges Choice Award. So then uh, the latest one, the revised, expanded, and edited edition of Good and Cheap was published just this past summer by Workman in July 2015. Leanne and her husband live in Brooklyn, and she's been kind enough to step away from the summer sun and chat with us today. Leanne, welcome to the show. Hi. How are you doing? I'm great. It's true. It is really sunny. Um, but you know what? I was sitting in my backyard earlier and we harvested a little bit of the kale that we planted and ate some of that. And I'm feeling very satisfied and happy right now. It's a perfect day for that kind of thing. <laughs> it is. Right? Not, not, not many people are into kale, but I like kale chips. <laughs> I know. I like it. You know, I always feel bad because I know people have such strong feelings about it. And I know it's almost like too easy to always like, of course I like kale. But you know what? It's good. It's delicious. I think I, it's fantastic. I love bitter greens. Well, then it's right up your alley. It goes so well with spicy things and with buttery croutons. Now, see, I'm going to ch- I'm, I'm going to put that <laughs> towards your culinary background because I would have no idea how to do that. So, have you always been into culinary things, food? Yeah, I think for as long as I could remember, I loved getting in the kitchen uh, with my parents when I was younger. And I would always try to prepare things. I was always so interested, especially like when my mother would bake things, it was always like the coolest thing to get up on the counter and kind of see the way things came together. I love mixing it in. It felt like, you know, I was a kid, I was always into, you know, fantasy. I loved my dad would read books to me. And to me, cooking and baking always felt like doing magic, you know. Well, yeah, you're creating something from like yeah. all these individual separate ingredients. Yes. I mean, think about something like a, an egg, one of my favorite ingredients, you know, so inexpensive. You can do so many things with it and how much it transforms and how magical that really is. Like, who are we to say that that isn't basically magic? I'll go with that. It is magic because I've had some very delicious things that are made with eggs. Yes. And 
you know, an egg sandwich or a fried egg seems miles and miles away from, say, you know, a beautiful cake, but they both involve eggs and look, they come out completely different. Anyway, this is, yes, I have always loved food and I've always been really interested in it. For the longest time, um, I kind of thought the only way you could have a career in food was to become a chef. And that was always something, you know, I admired, I thought it was great, but it wasn't um, something that I wanted to do. And so uh, it wasn't something I actively pursued. And then when I sort of found out more about, um, I after I, I got my first degree, I have an arts degree from the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, where I was born and raised. And I started working for the city after I graduated. And so I was working in sort of public policy and it was really interesting and great, but I became really fascinated by the world of food policy that I sort of didn't know was even, um, was even a thing. And then, uh, and then I found out about the NYU food studies program and was just kind of like, I did not know this was a thing you could do and got really excited about it. So it's sort of, Working in food is always something of interest to me, um, but I didn't know how to make it sort of a central part of my life. And I feel like so excited to be living at this time that we are living in when you can kind of make a career out of things and and kind of go your own way and, and make things happen. So as you were growing up, you know, school, high school, college, you're trying to figure out you went to a art school, essentially. Was it in the back of your mind? Hey, I, I wish I could make food a thing, but since right now I don't know how... Let me do art? Well, so no, I, so I got an arts degree. I just mean, um, it was actually a religious studies degree. So like writing and thinking and all that kind of thing. Um, I did do a little bit of dabbling in, in visual arts as well, but, um, no, that's never been like the central thing. Um, always been just enjoyed pretty much anything creative is, is really fun for me, but yeah, food. Um, yeah, I think I never thought it was a thing that I could make into a career, but it had to be a part of my life. It was something um, that I enjoyed doing kind of always in my spare time. And after um, I graduated, uh, like with my bachelor's degree, I, you know, as I was working and doing stuff that I cared about, but wasn't maybe sort of like my life stream, most fulfilling thing at home, I was discovering, uh, you know, like YouTube and Tumblr and like all these blogs that had, all this advice and realizing like, Hey, I can teach myself how to make anything, um, on the internet and in my little kitchen. And it was like the most fun thing ever. And it was just all I kind of wanted to do. And the more I learned, and I think this is like the difference between sort of people who become a chef maybe. And someone like me is that I, well, I absolutely love cooking for other people. I really do. Like I love putting something in front of people that they go, Oh, this is delicious. It feels good. But what I like so much more is to be able to share with people how I made it. Um, and to, to sort of empower them to try making it for themselves. Because what I always want to share is like, you know what, that was not, if you like that food that we just had, I need you to understand that it was really, simple to put together you know this was not a burden for me this was not difficult and this is something that you can have in your life kind of anytime you want I think that's so much more of a gift um, to people and that's really what I I want to do so for me uh, some of the most exciting empowering moments were um, you know in my early 20s really getting into cooking and having friends over have them say like oh I really like this and then writing out a recipe for them and sharing it with them and then hearing from them later on like hey I made I tried it and it worked out great and thanks like that's what gets me me going and so your background in 
food studies. I've never heard of that as a major or even yeah, I know. a career. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about that? Definitely. Yes, I know. Neither had I. Um, so I didn't know it was a thing until um, I, like I said, I was working for the city, um, for the city government for a few years, and I was really interested in food, sort of food policy and so I started to look around like, how do you, is this like a job you can do? And I found out about this program of food, of food studies and it just has actually had, uh, NYU has the oldest program in the country and it just turned 20 years old this year. Wow. So around you know, that long. 20, yeah, I know that long. At the same time, 20 years, like we're talking about like 1996. That's a pretty, that, it really hasn't been that long. That's actually and a good so, point too. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. 1996. Like, I remember that year. It's like Fresh Prince Bel-Air. Anyway, um, it's a new field and it's sort of in the, at NYU, it's in the School of Public Health and Nutrition. And so it's kind of like very much a sister to those two fields of study, but it's doing something a little bit different. It's sort of focusing, it's focusing more on the economic and environmental impacts of the food system. And so it's like, we're studying the entire food system and the food culture and, uh, and figuring out kind of how, because nutrition itself is, is really a science. And then public health is the sort of more the, the science of nutrition combined with sort of how do we take care of like these large populations and ensure that we're, um, you know, preventing, um, preventing illness, preventing uh, pandemics, all that kind of thing. And, there's obviously like so much more to food than that. It, it has such an important role in our lives culturally. And there's so many economic factors, uh, that come into play that, that make our decisions the way that they are. Like even just thinking about some, like, how do we get, you know, there's a zillion corner stores in New York city. How do they get uh, all, how do they get stocked with food every single day? How is it that we, we manage this? What are the prices that we pay? Um, what do they reflect about, uh, about the way these systems uh, interact, you know, it, it's just an incredibly complicated and fascinating thing. And if we want to sort of make it work better for everyone, we need to really understand it. And so food studies is kind of figuring all that stuff out. And it's a very new and evolving field. And, and I think I benefited enormously from that. Um, Good and Cheap was my thesis project, my final project. And because it is such a new field, it is... Um, you know, you don't have to do a specific, if I was in the field of anthropology, it would be like, you have to write a 50 page paper and it needs to do all these different things. But in food studies, they're kind of like, you know what, we're figuring this out as we go. And they encourage us to create something that feel that seems like it's missing in the world. And, and for me, um, that's what good and cheap was. It was something that I had been really drawn to while I was studying um, sort of issues of, in particular, poverty and, and inequity. And I had some critiques of the program. I was really fascinated with it. I felt like it, you know, wasn't, wasn't brought up, you know, it's always sort of food stamps, SNAP, uh, low income issues and food. It's always like, it's a one chapter in a book. And, and the fact is it shouldn't be sort of studied in on its own. It's like a layer of importance in, in every decision we make in, in the world of food. And I feel like it's not really quite there yet. And so I wanted to do something there. And, uh, and I was lucky enough to kind of have a few of the skills to, to create these and, and some support to do it. And yeah. 
I mean, when you when you create the book, and it's it's a great book, guys. You should definitely check it out. Links will be in the show notes uh, for you to find, it, as well as links to Leanne's site. You you create this book. It's for a great cause. It it helps a number of people, but it's your master's thesis. I mean, did you put that online because you thought it might help someone, or did you just kind of, yeah. you know, let's just see what happens? So it was a little of both. When I um, I graduated December twenty thirteen and. Initially, I I thought, okay, you know, I've, I've I've been working on it for about a year at that point. I've been doing all this. I've been doing volunteer work. Taking um, a thing I did for about a year was I would go weekly to this one WIC center. Um, so WIC is uh, the Women with Infant Children program. Just if anyone isn't familiar, and it's sort of uh, you get a certain amount of benefits for. Uh, pregnant moms with kids up to five years old who sort of have a certain threshold of income and you get like different, uh, you get access to a bunch of, of nutrition advice and information as well as, um, as certain foods that are particularly good for, for moms, um, of very, very young children and the children themselves. So like good, healthy foods. And I was working out of this WIC center and I would take people on grocery store tours. And it was there that I was able to sort of learn from, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different families about some of the, the difficulties that, that they would go through. What were the, the biggest barriers for them? You know, what were they wanting out of life and food and like what was hard? And, and I learned so much from that. And so when I graduated, I was hoping, I was just thinking I would work with a couple of the nonprofits that I had volunteered with and, that we could get, I was hoping we could get this, this book that I created really with all these families in mind, um, out to those families, um, and those individuals. And, uh, and it, you know, it was taking a while. Like this was January, February, March. I was kind of like having these meetings and people were really sweet and supportive, but you know, it wasn't really going anywhere. I wasn't sure what was happening. And I kind of got, uh, I got, not fed up. I got impatient, really. Well, when so you say when you say you're meeting with these people, are they publishers or? No, they were like nonprofit people. Like, because I didn't even think like I wasn't even thinking of it as a book that would have mass market appeal at that point. I was thinking like that I made this for um, people who are living on food stamps, and I want to get it to them. Like that's really what this is for. Oh, and, and so how can I get it to them? The yeah, in the so best. I thought like these nonprofits, like all work with these families and maybe, you know, they have some grants and we could do a little print run. Like they can email it out to people. Like, I don't know, like make some pamphlets. Like I was, I just wanted to get it out to people. And so I decided that I would just make a website and start sharing a few recipes on there. And I would just put it up there for free. And the thought being like, well, you know what? Like, if it's online, maybe some people will find it. Um, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm not much of a marketer, but I'll just sort of see what happens with it. Just throw it up there and see what goes. Yeah, like it was really not well thought out. And honestly, part of it was that at that point, I was feeling kind of bad about myself. Like I was, you know, it's, I think it's really normal after people graduate, you sort of have that soul searching period where you're like, what am I doing with my life? How do I... Totally normal. Yeah, exactly. All that stuff. And so I was definitely having that and also having that sort of like, you know, maybe I was wrong. You know, maybe people don't need this and maybe I kind of wasted my time and maybe this will just be a thesis that sits on the shelf and that's okay. But 
you know, I was sad about that. And so this was April of, of 2014. And I just put it up on the website. Didn't really think much of it. And one day I came home from work and I opened up my laptop and there were like hundreds and hundreds of emails from my website. And I was really shocked. Cause like I said, like I, I had just put up the website, barely told me what, like my dad had come to the website a bunch of times to like, tell me about typos in my blog posts and things like that. It That's was what parents not- are for. Yeah, exactly. Thanks dad. Thanks for your support. But like, I, so I was like, where are all these emails coming from? And it turned out that someone had shared it on, on Reddit and it had quickly kind of then actually it spread to Tumblr. And like, um, so thousands and thousands of people kind of came that first day, I think 50,000 people, over 50,000 people downloaded it that first um, day. And it actually crashed my website and was kind of amazing. I was like, ah, oh my God. It's um, like high praise. Well, it was, you know, I was nervous, you know, I have to admit, like my first thought was, oh my gosh, Reddit's probably people like criticizing me and telling me I'm horrible. And it was the opposite. It was, uh, it was people expressing incredible support for it and actually sharing a bunch of really touching stories. Like I, one of the first, uh, one of the first people who wrote to me, so it's, he's like stuck in my brain forever. His name was Christian. And he said, Hey, Leanne, I'm going back to school for the first time um, in my life. I'm having to go on food stamps because I have to cut back on my hours at work and I have student loans and all this stuff. And I was so terrified that I was just going to be eating ramen like for now for several years. And because, of course, that's what everyone says. And, you know, I found your book and I'm just feeling really excited and, and really hopeful and we have kind of, we kept in contact for a little while and, and he's doing, he was doing really well. And, and, and it was so wonderful to hear. And, and so it was people like that who are saying, this is helpful to me right now. And like, there's nothing better than that, right? Like that's all you want as a person who puts work out into the world. Is you want it to be of use. And like, so it was the greatest thing ever to just hear that this was useful to people, but then also people were sharing even more important stuff about, their experiences, you know, growing up hungry or there was just so much incredibly important sharing going on. And people were talking about things that were, that, that are often hidden. And I was just like, so thrilled by it and blown away by it. And I realized at that point that it was, I was like kind of holding myself back and that I needed to, to believe in the product or like believe in what I made and, and work to put it out there. And so that's why we launched the Kickstarter. And of course the idea at that point, the PDF was free on my website as it should be. Cause the point was that it needed to be for anyone who, um, you know, if you're living on food stamps or, or, or even if you're not, you know, if you're a student who just has a really low budget or if you're a senior or whatever it is, there's a million reasons why, you know, a $20 cookbook is just too much, but I want anyone who can truly benefit from that $20 cookbook to, to be able to access. It was so important. And so, it still is free guys on her website. Yeah. Yeah. It's still freely available. Um, but when we printed the book, when we made it physical, um, obviously like that costs money. So we did have to make money somehow. Um, but luckily this model, like the buy one, give one model was kind of already out there. So we were just like, let's do that. And so when we launched the Kickstarter, we did it with a buy one, give one model. Um, and we asked for $10,000. And like you said, at the beginning of the show, uh, we ended up with way, way more. We reached the $10,000 goal in the first day and a half of the campaign. It was like the craziest 36 hours of my life. And then uh, by the end of the campaign, we had 
um, over 144, almost $145,000, which allowed us to actually print 40,000 books and give away, I think we gave away, oh gosh, like, so 7,000 went to Kickstarter backers, then the balance was 33,000, I think 9,000 we sent directly to nonprofits across the country, and then the extra 24,000 we sold at cost, so like $4 a book to those same nonprofits. So we ended up sending out about 33,000 um, across the country, which was like it's amazing, a fine feat. It was, it was, it was a tense, but it was like so wonderful. And we had so much support for our people were so kind and generous and excited and believed in it. And it was like, it was the best. And I mean, the lives you've touched with this, I mean, you talked about Christian, I'm sure he's only just one of hundreds of thousands of people who are having a benefit for from this and can share their experience with others. And you not only still make it available, you know, you could have taken it off the site. I mean, easily you could have. And I think. But that I, would take away the whole entire. Yeah. I can, like, I commend just, you for not. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy to get sucked up in that whole money, money, money thing. Right. So I commend that you've, you've stayed true to the purpose of why you even started it. Well, I really appreciate that, but I also would like to, to say that it's not, I'm like, it's not a martyr. I have done well. I like, I'm not a martyr. I have done really well with this. And I, I truly think that because the purpose of it is not, you know, it's not to make money, but like, I would love to be paid and those who can pay for it do pay for it. And it's fantastic. And we're able to sort of share that benefit. I think doing it this way, more people have looked at it and cared about it and believed in it. And ultimately it's probably done better. And I was probably able to make more as a result of that. I think the thing is, it's not like I I'm doing it and I'm really taking a hit for it. I think actually overall it's better for it. It's better for me probably it's maybe even better for my publisher. Um, we probably sold more because the, the, the book has integrity. It, it, and, uh, and so, yeah, I just, I, I always just cringe a little bit when, um, I don't want to suggest I'm not like some sort of special, super kind person. I think I, I did this. It was very, it was practical and, and it's worked out really well. I laugh because I mean, you could still be commended for, for keeping the spirit of it, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, it, it's it's a wonderful thing. You've just come out with a revised edition last year. Yeah. Do you see yourself making any more volumes or trying something different now? Now that you've had the experience of writing, of going through the publication process, you've done Kickstarters. What do you think is going on next? Well, so I have a two-book deal with my publisher, so I am working on a second book. Um, and I don't think it's not going to be like a good and cheap two exactly. I'm certainly not going to throw that model out the window or anything. Um, I think that, like I said at the beginning, I really think that cost is a huge issue and it needs to be a layer in everything and, and every, it is a layer in every decision that we make about food. And so it's certainly going to be a factor, but that's probably not going to be the main focus. I think what I'm, what I'm trying to do with my second book, and it's really still in the like super early development stages is um, share more of, because people like Christian, I get so many incredible stories from people and I got to travel over the country. I get to do these workshops. I get to go to conferences and speak about what I'm doing and I get to meet with so many people. And there's so much more that keeps people from cooking for themselves, enjoying food and allowing themselves to enjoy food that is 
there's so much psychology to it. There's so many, you know, I hear all the time people say, oh, I'm a terrible cook. And, you know, oh, I can't do it for this and this reason. And I think that's really, they, it's not that it's false. It's like completely true to them. But often what's at the heart of people believing they can't cook is some kind of experience that has led them sort of to, to associate certain negative things with them. Like, for example, um, this one woman, I had this great conversation. She said, oh, you know, I really like your book and I like some of these ideas, but I'm just such an awful cook. I always, I always, you know, wreck everything. And I sort of, I always ask people why, you know, can we, can we talk about it? You know, why do you think you're a bad cook? What do you, what do you mean? And she explained to me that they kind of, they live in this really small town, her and her, her partner, and they work really long hours. And, and so they tend to eat out quite a quite often. Um, but they eat out at like fast food restaurants. So they eat at like pizza hut, like three, four nights a week. And so then the other three nights a week, they are, um, she said, you know, I'm trying to kind of make up for eating at pizza hut. And so I'm cooking like brown rice with like no, uh, you know, no fat or like no butter, no, (laughs) nothing like that. And just like a few like chopped vegetables and that kind of thing. And, you know, and no salt and all this kind of stuff. And, and I, immediately thought I'm sure you're thinking too like yeah I think I know why you think you're a bad cook yeah. like that's pretty hard for that to meal to be delicious especially multiple times yes exactly and so I was thinking like okay you know except you like if you enjoy eating a pizza hut what if you gave yourself permission rather than trying to sort of eat this like penance food to make up for your um for your choices other nights what if you said you know i like pizza what if i tried making pizza myself and you know what that's supposed to taste like you have the capacity to make it um taste the way that you know it should taste and you can have success with that and that can lead you to feel good about yourself good about your cooking ability and make you want to do it more often and it's like so often that's the kind of thing that i hear it's like people are kind of making it really hard on themselves and not really assessing their skills on a fair playing field. Um, and food can be so powerful. One of my other favorite, favorite stories, uh, was this woman who wrote to me and said, Leanne, I am just moving in, uh, to a new apartment. I'm living on my own for the first time in 10 years. I'm physically disabled and I've lived with a caretaker for a really long time because I've needed it, but I'm finally out on my own. And I'm living on public assistance. You know, I like, I really don't have much money to spend and I'm really scared. Like I have not cooked for myself before in like in, well, at least in over in 10 years. And she said, you know, I I saw your cookbook online. I downloaded it and I looked through it and it, it really touched me and I'm excited to try to make something. And I was like, of course, oh my goodness, you know, oh, I hope everything goes well. Please let me know. Um, and, and don't give up. And she So she did, yeah, I'm going to make something. And she wrote back to me the very next day and she'd made one of the, one of my favorite recipes in the book. Very, very simple. It's Mexican street corn or elotes and you uh, grill corn. I, so she had grilled it in the oven and just sort of broiled it really very simple. You just shuck the corn, keep it on the cob, broil it, and then you slather it in just a little bit of mayonnaise, crumble some, some white cheese of some kind onto it. Um, a spritz of lime, uh, lime juice, and a little sprinkling um, to your taste of uh, chili powder. And so it's really, it's salt and salty and sweet and spicy. You're making me hungry. Oh, it's so good. It's so, so good. So she'd made this and she said, 
I bit into it for the first time and I just started to sob and I, I cried and cried and I was crying because it was so delicious. And I was so happy and proud of myself, but also because I realized how relieved I was to know that everything was going to be okay in my life. Um, and that, you know, tomorrow I would make oatmeal for myself and, and I could do this. And I think that's like what really touches me and, and why I do this work is like food means so much to us. It is so important and we hold so much fear there. Um, it represents a lot. And, and if you can take care of yourself and your family with food, you can give yourself pleasure. You can give yourself energy to get through the rest of life, which is really hard. Then you're well set up. And I just, everyone deserves to have that. Everyone deserves to have good food every single day. And I want to help people as much as possible. Like let's throw, let's get rid of, break down every single barrier we can between you and like having the best food you can possibly have in your life because it means a lot to us. Well, I definitely said, I mean, you've definitely equipped people, but I think you're also helping people through, I mean, I know you do workshops, you're speaking publicly about this and I'm, did you ever think that that would be part of your life when you were younger, <laughs> that you'd be speaking in public, giving workshops, you know, doing these things that uh, really famous authors and writers and celebrities are doing? Did you ever think it would get to that point? Never in a million years. I always saw myself as like the backroom person who would kind of like maybe type up a speech for someone and else who would deliver that kind of thing. Right. Or take notes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would never um, be the one up there representing. No, that it's so strange to be in this position. And what I'm blown away by is not only how strange it is, but also how much I like it. Like I really, really enjoy public speaking and talking and connecting with people. It feels deeply natural, even though I've been, you know, I was a very shy kid, really pretty, pretty shy adult as well. Um, I would say I'm much more of an introvert. Um, and public speaking, I remember the first time I had to speak at a conference after kind of Good and Cheap did really well and after the Kickstarter. And sure, I'd done, you know, I'd done interviews and these sorts of things, but it was always kind of one-on-one. But actually, I'm just speaking in front of the crowd for the first time. It's like this 10-minute thing was nothing. And I practiced for like three weeks. And I was so nervous. And, and it went really well. And since then, you know, now I just got back from a trip to Orlando and I did two back-to-back workshops, each of which were like an hour and a half long. And, um, and I can kind of just actually stand there in a relaxed state and just talk, um, just talk about, about these issues and it comes really naturally. And it's like one of the funnest things. And I continue to just be like, who is this person? Who is this Leanne that can get up in front of people? and actually speak. Um, and I think it comes from, you know, people often ask me, Oh, you seem to really like speaking and you're so good at it. And, and I was like, Oh, thank you so much. You know, there's no magic sauce to it. It's really just connecting with the fact that when you're speaking in front of a bunch of people, you're still just speaking to a person. You're speaking to each person as an individual. It's kind of like on a podcast, right? I can imagine that when you think about this, you're not thinking about all your audience sort of in one giant room. You're thinking about everyone maybe walking, maybe walking down the street with their um, earbuds in, uh, enjoying you as a one-on-one kind of experience. You're talking to one person. You're trying to get through to one person. And that's all that the public speaking really is. Yeah. And that's exactly it. And I, that's amazing that, um, 
you see it the way I say. I, I think if, if people see it that way, it makes it a little bit easier. But you having, you know, being shy and then suddenly being thrust into these roles and seeing it that way, did was it hard to accept that? Yes. Yeah. It, it and it still it still is. There's often times where I still get really nervous uh, before I do a lot of things, and I still feel like, who am I? to be, to be doing this stuff. And then uh, I try to breathe and just connect with all you have to do is tell the truth. And I think the thing is what's helped me definitely more than anything. I don't know that I could go up and talk about absolutely anything. Um, but what I do talk about is something that means so much to me, like this work, good and cheap, this belief that, you know, everyone deserves to eat good food every day, you know, no matter what, and trying to connect people to that message and listen a lot and, and, and share a lot and be really honest about, about food and the truth and like what that means to me, that comes so naturally um, because it's just, it's just like my truth. Um, and so if I can just go up there and go like, all you have to do is tell the truth and talk about what you believe that, is simple. Um, and, and I feel really privileged to, to be in a position where I can just get up and just talk about my stuff. Um, which is true. I don't have to, I don't have to convince anyone of anything. People do not have to change their minds or, or, you know, I don't have to be a politician sort of trying to convince people of a new policy. All I do is go up there and share and talk and people can take from it what they will. And I think that's like an incredibly lucky position to be in. I think that's also why people can connect to you easily, though. You have this authenticity uh, about your subject, but also in the way you talk. I mean, guys, offline, she's a wonderful person. <laughs> I've only met her probably five minutes before we spoke, but we I personally thought we connected really well. I really enjoy speaking to her, as evidenced by this conversation, but I really think there's something authentic about you, and it could be your personality, but also in your message. You really believe it and you can yeah. tell if that makes sense. Like I, I can, I don't think you're lying about what you're saying and I don't think you're saying it to convince anyone. It's just, is what it is. It's just the truth. Yeah. For me, it's the truth. And I think everyone has like different things that are, are their truth. And if you can align, you know, your work or, or something, if you are lucky, you know, like me and are able to be in a position to get to talk about it. Like people are going to see that that's the truth. And I think they're definitely seeing it when they do it. And, um, I mean, you've created hundreds of thousands of readers who are now eating well, hopefully, using the, the tools that you've provided in yep. that book. Them anyway, I hope. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's all we can do is, is help them and hope you've already touched many lives. I mean, you have Christian and your other story and, and probably many more in your email box and more to come, I bet. <laughs> probably. <laughs> well, it's just, it's really cool to... I think that's the other thing. The internet is such an amazing, ugh. I mean, it, it, there's so many terrible things about the internet, but it's also this incredible opportunity to connect with people, the people who are open to your, your message, whatever that is. I mean, talk about, you know, sort of public speaking it, to have the opportunity to speak online, to just sort of put your stuff out there. Then the people who do connect with it can find you and it can mean so much. That's why, like, I always think about how, uh, like, I sort of feel like I was saved slash 
you know, I owe so much to kind of the people who originally shared my work on Reddit because I think it was their excitement, like to discover that that community existed, that people really did care about this gave me so much confidence and made me be brave and really believe. And any moments where I was like so scared and, you know, and feel all that, like those the giant waves of self doubt, um, you know, who am I to do this? This is crazy. You're just like some kid from Canada who like cooks sometimes in her house. Who are you to say anything or that imposter you, syndrome? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. It's so intense. But if you can, you can see, right in front of you. There are people telling you right to your face, like this matters to me. Who are you? Like this helped me. It's like, I can't dismiss that. That would be, that would be ridiculous. And honestly, it would be selfish to, to dismiss these people's experience who are saying like, this has helped me. And so in some way, like I help that motivates me so much to know that people are out there. And I think the thing is when you do something that's true to yourself and you share what, like cooking is just what I'm best at. It's the thing that comes easily to me. I can talk about it forever. Um, ideas just like flow through me. I just feel so lucky. It's like my, it's a thing that I'm good at. I don't really have anything else that I'm really good at, but it's that I can do this. And I love, and to be able to share it with people is so deeply moving. I think it's like kind of the point of being alive and being a human being is to be able to connect with people. And I can connect with people by sharing that. And almost all of us, I think, have something that, that we're good at or, or that we can connect to people with. And if you just put it out there, like you never know, like who's going to, who's going to connect to it. You'll probably find like, I'm no, I'm positive that if you put something out there with, um, with good intent um, and with honesty out into the world, you'll find like a Christian and a bunch more people who will come and say, yes, me too. And thank you for doing this. And this matters to me. Uh, I can't, I, I can't agree anymore. I mean, I found you through Tumblr. It was a post that had been reblogged and it came across my dashboard. I was like, well, what is this? I don't, to be honest, <laughs> I don't know if I would have ever found your book. Uh, if I, if that had not happened, which goes to show how amazing and far reaching the internet is. I mean, there are bad things, of course, and we've talked about it about briefly, but, you know, things like that, that makes it amazing. Yeah. Right? And so before we wrap up, I have one question before my usual question. Ten years from now, what do you think you'll be doing? Oh, my God. I know. Throw you off with that one. Just Ten years. So it's so funny. I feel like I keep thinking it's only been – it's been two years kind of – since doing good and cheap. And two years ago, I would never have predicted this. I actually remember it was about two years ago, um, a little over two years, sort of January, February, just after I graduated, my husband and I were jogging around Central Park and we were talking about how it was wonderful that we'd had this experience getting to, to live in New York for a couple of years and do this work. But we were pretty sure that we were not going to be able to, you know, get visas, be able to stay, kind of keep doing this. We thought we were going to sort of end up heading back home. We're talking about how, you know, it, it was worth it. This was cool. We're really glad to do it. And now, you know, here I am getting to do basically the dream job of dream jobs, like the dream job that I didn't even know existed, um, that I never even dared to dream um, just in two years. So it's almost like I don't have any idea. I hope that I will 
I think for sure I will be um, continuing to spread my absolute love of cooking to people in whatever way I possibly can, try to reach as many people as possible and, uh, and just get people to the core thing is I just want as many people to believe that they deserve to eat good food every single day, no matter who or what they are, no matter what's going on that they deserve it. And, um, if there's, you know, ever anything I can do that any of us can do to sort of facilitate that and move that forward, um, that's what I'll be working on. That's awesome. I mean, I, <laughs> I feel you're like taking I your question, but like, I don't know, 10 years, like two years, life has completely changed. So 10 years. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, you didn't really see that coming. It just kind of life oh, took a turn yeah. on you. So I, I'm interested to see what happens and what you have going on. Uh, because you're taking life as it comes, and that's wonderful. And I hope more and more people will do that because you never know what the end result will be. Just like two years, you've had a whirlwind kind of life. And I think a lot of people could have that if they kind of follow in their dreams, you know? Absolutely. And hopefully if they have support as well, because that's that's the other thing that I, I think I gloss over a little bit. But, like, I am so lucky to have um, an incredibly supportive partner supportive people around me. I, I've lived a very privileged life that has allowed me to take advantage of, of the opportunities that I've had, you know, the number of times, like everything could have not worked out if I didn't, you know, the Kickstarter was incredibly stressful. I think if I didn't have um, a partner and, and people who helped support me and help me like get up off the ground every day, I would not have been able to, to do it. Like truly. Um, I am so, so far from doing any of this alone. I have, so much support and, and, and no one can kind of do this, can do anything on their own. Um, we're all so interconnected and we need help from each other all the time and, you know, shouldn't be embarrassed or nervous to ask for it. Um, cause people like helping. <laughs> I love helping. I love being asked for help and I love, um, and I've learned also to, uh, to ask for help because it also gives other people a great deal of pleasure and it's how we move forward. And that's a perfect segue into our final question. What is one resource or thing you would recommend to a dream chaser to help them or their dream chase journey? You just kind of set it up for me there. Yeah, I did, didn't I? Yeah. I have a killer answer now. So resource-wise, oh my gosh. All I can recommend is kind of like don't get stuck don't get stuck in that place that I was where you don't, if there's, if you have some kind of a dream or a, an idea that you think this is something I want to work on, put everything you can into that. You need to believe in it. You need to share it with people. Don't like hide it off in your corner, put it on a little website and not tell anyone. Don't do that to yourself. Tell as many people as possible, be loud, be open Say, this is what I'm trying to do because that's how you can get that support that you need. If you sort of hide it in a closet and kind of work on it every once in a while, tinkering with it and waiting until it's perfect to reveal it because it's vulnerable to admit that you want it, all that kind of stuff. All stuff I've been guilty of for my entire life, really. You will not be able to get the support that you need to really get it out there and realize it. Um, you have to take that risk. You have to like jump off the cliff and believe that people are going to be there for you. Um, and sometimes they're not going to be there for you in the right way. And you're going to 
fall and smash yourself and scrape your arms and elbows, but you'll be able to to get up and you will find your people and you will find people that can support you if you're um, if you keep trying and you keep going. Um, you just there's no way to achieve your dreams without being brave and taking that risk, and it's like so terrifying, but it's so true. And that is something like I've learned more than anything else through this is like, if there's something that I'm thinking about and I get really scared at the idea of putting it out there, I almost realize like, that's the thing I need to do because that's like the most vulnerable kind of true thing. Um, so I'd say resource wise, like be brave and ask for help and ask for support and like be honest and go for it. I can't say it any better. I, Yes, let's leave it at that. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't have a. I have a mic, but I can't really drop it. But <laughs> mic drop. It's not my mic to drop, but oh, I hope it doesn't all sound so cliche. It's so true, you know. Like it's so scary and hard. But um, some of the best things sad. are cliche, and unfortunately, because they're called cliche, people are like ignore it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do but that. It's it cliche for a reason, I guess. Yeah, don't do that, guys. Don't do it. Listen to Leanne. And Leanne, I got to thank you for being on the show. Loved your story. I hope it resonates with many more because I know it will. And I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much, Amy. I hope we can stay in touch. And I can't wait to be inspired by more of your wonderful dreamers. Guys, how much fun was Leanne Brown? Amazing story. She's doing some wonderful things. And I hope you take her advice to heart. And also... Use her as an example. She believed in her product enough to put it online for free, her PDF. She had some doubts, but as soon as those Reddit users started talking about it, you know, her doubts went away. I'm sure she has a few probably still in her, but, you know, it, she her belief in her product was renewed. And, you know, we just have to believe in what we dream about. And I hope you guys will start doing that. And don't just believe it you know, do something about it. So keep chasing your dreams, guys. And remember, you can find all the show notes and the links mentioned today on the show notes page for this episode over at chasingdreamshq.com slash episode 47. That's episode 47. Until next time, dream chasers, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing.